I feel like I can sit down, huh? Okay. We've been going through the book of Joshua and, um, and taking ground. So Stan asked me to preach tonight on anything that relates to taking ground. So I thought, prayer. Prayer. We've been, we've been in the vein of prayer, you've noticed. And, and uh, I've got a confession to make actually, on the subject of prayer. I have, throughout my Christian walk, really struggled to maintain an active prayer life that is consistent. It's not been easy for me. Um, And there are a number of reasons for that. Um, I hope I'm not the only one like that. But it might be. Um, There's so many other things that come easier. Even reading the Bible or listening to a Christian podcast, that's, that's easier than... Than, um, than praying. And, and those aren't bad things. They're actually very good things. But they're not great things as an excuse not to pray. There are times I've, I've experienced, let me be honest with you, there are times where I've experienced that praying for an hour is easy. And there are other times where praying for five minutes is like the hardest thing. I just can't keep my mind from, from running down rabbit holes and, and thinking of mundane things or or, or distractions, or, or even ungodly thoughts. Um, it's been said that, that the battlefield for men's souls is the mind. And I don't think that there's anywhere that that's more true than in the realm of prayer. Um, I found that when, when, you know, I struggle to sleep. I've always struggled to sleep. But give me, give me five minutes of prayer, and I feel like I've been anesthetized. I can feel the, the black, inky darkness sucking me in to its heavenly bosom. You know, it's it, it, prayer, and there's a reason for that. The reason for that is that, that your flesh and your enemy wants to take you as far away from prayer as you can possibly get. It's, it's because there, the kingdom of God is established in prayer. It's there that the enemy is overcome. Uh, the Bible says that our, that our weapons are not physical, but they're spiritual and strong for tearing down strongholds and spiritual weakness in, in dark places. So, so there's something about prayer that is profoundly supernatural. The other reason I think that we struggle to pray sometimes is discouragement. Um, sometimes... We don't pray because we've tried that and it didn't work. For me, in the area of healing, I'm asthmatic. I've been asthmatic since I was six. And I've prayed many times and many people have prayed for me and prophesied over me and I still have asthma. And that's discouraging. So, so what, what happens is sometimes that thing that we prayed for and prayed for and prayed for just slides off the prayer list and becomes a little blind spot, one that we don't go to. And I think there's, there's something of a mystery in that that we simply don't understand. I believe in healing. I've prayed for people and they've been radically healed. I've prayed for tumors and they've disappeared. I've prayed for a shattered knee and it's come together. Um, it's not that God doesn't heal and it's not that I don't believe that God heals. But there's something, there's a mystery that we don't understand God in his fullness. So, so my encouragement is if, if discouragement stops you from praying, keep praying. If you've been praying for something for a year, pray for another year. 
If you've been praying for something for five years, another five years. If you've been praying something for 40 years, don't stop. God is faithful. And I think sometimes we only see the results of those prayers on the other side of eternity. Um, what else can hinder prayer? For me, if, if I'm completely honest, part of my struggle to pray effectively is intellectual. If it knows what we need, and the Bible says that he does, why would prayer make any difference? But it does. See, God has chosen prayer as the medium or the, the process through which he engages with us and we engage with him. Um, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, a famous theologian, once said that prayer doesn't change God, but it changes us. Something happens in the process of prayer, something supernatural. The very act of praying to a God we cannot see is an act of faith that aligns our heart and minds with a supernatural reality beyond that which we can see. It is an act of profound significance that we engage with a God who spoke forth the universe and he pauses and inclines his ear to hear us. That's a profound thing. I was, I was reading yesterday that, that our Milky Way, you know, the, the galaxy that we find ourselves in, the Milky Way, um, is vast. It's, it's, it's unimaginably vast. If you imagine the Milky Way to be the size of North America, which we love, our solar system would fit in a teacup. And the Milky Way is one of approximately 100 billion galaxies of equal size. The, the one who spoke that into being, who spoke and it was, wants to hear us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Why would we withhold ourselves from that? It's irrational. It is the space where we pause to see, see things as they truly are and not as our senses tell them they are. Because the supernatural is far more real than the natural. In prayer, we realign our hearts with God by forgiving others and seeking forgiveness for our own sins. Prayer is so vital that even Jesus, the God-man, chose prayer to start each day. Even Jesus, when he faced the hardest trial of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, he chose to be found in prayer. As he was approaching the reality of the cross bearing down upon him and the fate of all humanity for all ages on his head and his heart and his mind, in that time, he chose that hour to do one thing, pray. If, if, if that's Jesus' refuge, it should be ours. Um, the uh, Dutch disciple Corrie ten Boom says of prayer, is it your steering wheel or your spare tire? It should be both. It should be both. But sometimes it's, it's our spare tire more than our steering wheel. Jesus taught his disciples to pray in what came to be known as the Lord's Prayer, 
I'm going to look at it in some detail tonight. The Lord's Prayer. But it's actually not the Lord's Prayer. He, he taught his disciples how to pray this way. It's the disciples' prayer. And, and there's some profound truth in it, which I'd like to tease out. And if you have any questions, stick your hand up. I'm happy to engage. I can't see you very clearly because I haven't got my glasses on. But I'll, I'll respond. Matthew 6, verse 5, 16. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, just underline that, circle it, put an asterisk next to it, asterisk, we're going to get back to it, and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if, and circle that as, as well if you like, you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to them, say to you, they have received their reward. If God knows what we want before we ask, or what we need before we ask, why pray at all? Well, prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. God hears our prayers and answers them. Sometimes the answer is not what we wanted. Sometimes the answer makes no sense. I must say to you from personal experience, there are many times where I've fervently prayed for something and I've received a resounding no. And years later, I've been so grateful. It has been God's greatest mercy to me not to give me what I want. I don't know whether you've ever considered this. If you look in the book of Romans, and the consequence of sin in chapters 1 to 3, there's a series of dark exchanges where, where humanity exchanges the glory of God for other stuff. There's a punishment described in there, and the punishment is this. God gave them over to the lusts of their own minds. Sometimes what we want is a punishment. Moses said to God, I can't be a prophet so God engages in a debate with him and says, okay, cool, your brother Aaron. You can take your brother Aaron. I'll be God to you. You be God to Aaron, and he'll speak on your behalf. And the moment Moses turns his back, Aaron makes a golden calf and leads all of Israel into idolatry. Sometimes what we ask for is really not the best thing. So sometimes God's no is a good thing. Consider this for a moment. This struck me this morning. Remember we said that, that God spoke forth the universe? Universe, one sentence. That's literally what it means. <laughs> I love that. When God speaks in heaven, things on earth change. When we speak on earth, things in heaven change. That's what the text says. It literally says it. It says, 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When God speaks in heaven, things on earth change. But when we speak on earth, heaven Hello. There we go. I think sometimes our gremlins are demon-inspired. As a church, we prioritize corporate prayer. It's very boomy. Maybe drop my mids a bit. Um, as a church, we prioritize corporate prayer. We believe that corporate prayer is the engine room of the church. <laughs> There's nothing at all distracting about that. Um, you know, uh, I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said that, that man is the only animal that blushes or needs to. <laughs> uh, where were we? Yeah, when we pray together, how's that? Yeah. When we pray together, God meets with us. Because the Bible says, where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in their midst, and whatever we ask for in his name, he will give to us. So, so there's something about coming together as a community and praying together that moves the hand of God. Our prayer meetings on a Thursday are, are a matter of the utmost cosmic importance cosmic importance. What we pray here is going to affect generations to come. Uh, um, I'll, I'll remember the name of the theologian in a moment, but, but she says that, that, that our prayers change the world, that they outlive us, they outlive generations, and they outlive the world. What we pray literally echoes in eternity. Why would we miss that out? Hey? So how do we pray? There is no formula to prayer any more than there is a formula to conversation. Because prayer is, is, is at its core, at its, in its essence, engaging with God in conversation. But sometimes we struggle. Sometimes, sometimes you get to pray and, and it's a blank. And in those times, there is a structure I'd like to suggest that may assist us. It assists me. And, and if you do this thoroughly, you, you'll see that an hour goes really quickly. You may have heard this before. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Each of the lines of this prayer can be used as a heading for a group or cluster of prayers. Our Father in heaven, we can celebrate. In that moment, we have a Father in heaven 
not, not, not just a distant God rumbling on a mountaintop, but the one by which we crowd, Abba, Father, Dad. Isn't it amazing that God, God chooses in that prayer, in the very first line, to describe his relationship with us as one of intimacy. His imminence, that's what the theologians call it, his, 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 his touchableness, his nearness, his imminence is described in the first line of the disciples' prayer. Our Father who is in heaven. We can spend a few minutes just, just worshiping God and thanking him that, that in Christ we are seated in heavenly places next to him. That, that we have access to a Father. You know, Tim Keller says, there is only one person who would wake a king at 3 a.m. in the morning, 3 a.m. for a glass of water, and that is a child. We have that kind of access. It's an amazing thing. We, we have access to God the Father, and He invites us into intimacy with Him. So that if you wake up at 3 in the morning in desperate need of His living water, He'll give it to you. Hallowed be your name. This means that his name is holy and to be kept holy. That is the description of what the theologians call his transcendence, his, his divine other, otherness. How he is not like us. He is so much higher than us. And we can spend a few minutes maybe considering how amazing he is, his kindness, his grace, his transcendent beauty and glory, and how yet he condescends, and that's a positive word, he condescends to speak to us. There's a word in the Old Testament that says that God stoops. He leans down. Isn't that an amazing picture? God of the universe, who speaks forth hundreds of billions of galaxies with a word, stops to listen to us. Then you may say to me, well, Raymond, how's that possible? How's that possible? If, if millions of people are praying at the same time, how can he stop and listen to me? Very simple. God is not bound by time. He is outside of time. He has all the time and all of... I can't even say the universe because he's greater and beyond that. He has all of eternity, present, past, and future, to listen to your prayer. Because he's not bound by it. Time is irrelevant, not linear. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. This is a heading under which we can pray for God's will to be done in specific circumstances and needs, so that our present earthly reality looks like God's eternal heavenly reality. There's, there are few prayers for few circumstances that do not fit under that heading. That can keep you busy for an hour. Maybe not the first time you try it, but, but with practice. Think of your workspace, your family, your city, your nation. We get to pray that his will is accomplished in all of these things as his kingdom advances. Give us this day our daily bread. What are your needs? Employment, finances, God knows. Ask him. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Note how God's forgiveness of our debts follows our forgiveness of others. Just in case we missed the point, Jesus goes on to say, so if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. God's love is unconditional, but his forgiveness isn't.
This is an opportunity to do some real heart work, to lift those up who have hurt us, to pray for God's mercy upon them, and to pray to be vessels of God's grace and mercy to them. If you struggle with unforgiveness, and I have at times in my life really struggled with unforgiveness, nothing cures that faster than praying for the person you hold something against. Because you start seeing them from God's perspective. See, see, repentance, metanoia, is changing your mind, and what that means is to start thinking about stuff the way that God does. That's what repentance means. So when we lift up the one who's wounded us, who's grieved us, who's done the most unspeakable things, we're not saying that what they did was right. We're saying what they did is forgiven. And as we lift them up before God, His mercy and kindness and grace and love flows through us to them, and they are transformed as we are transformed. And what's the alternative? Unforgiveness. Well, that's like taking poison and waiting for the other guy to die. It's irrational. As we we repent and forgive, God changes our hearts and minds that we start thinking the way he does. It's a shifting of perspective where God changes our very appetites so that sin becomes less attractive and God becomes our deepest satisfaction. Let me tell you from experience that happens nowhere but in prayer and worship, which is a form of prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil as a recognition that God is ultimately in control and that we are dependent on him and not on ourselves. Our greatest obstacle to fruitfulness and effectiveness in the kingdom is our own self-reliance. The fall in the garden of Eden was at its heart an issue of self-reliance and has echoed in every generation since. We are at our most vulnerable when we believe that we can do it without God. Jesus said to his disciples, without me, you can do nothing. You know how Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret? That word room is a very special room. In the the Middle East in the first century, they didn't have fridges. They had a, a, a room in the middle of the house. Some translations call it the closet. Go into your closet and close the door. It's, it's referring to this room. It's a pantry. It's the coolest room in the house, which had no windows. It had a door, but no windows. So he's, Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who stand in the marketplace and who want to be seen by men. They've received their reward. Go into the pantry, close the door, 